Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast, where we discuss HR best practices, hot topics, strategy, and employment law changes that affect small business. I'm your host, Brandon Laws of Zenium HR. Our website is www.zeniumhr.com, where you can follow us, read articles, listen to our recent podcasts, or contact us. Thanks for listening and enjoy the topic in this episode. I'd like to welcome Ellen West to the podcast today. Ellen is an associate professor of management in the School of Business Administration at Portland State University and teaches a class entitled The Power of Soul and Spirit in Business, which investigates ways to create a healthy environment in business through community development and collaborative leadership strategies. Welcome, Ellen. We are happy to have you with us. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Brandon. Okay, you're welcome. So we're going to kind of jump into the topic of the day, which is based on an article and a class you have, The Power of Soul and Spirit in the mm-hmm. Business. Let's mm-hmm. start off on the organizational development side. Mm-hmm. In the context of the class that you teach, what do you mean by soul and spirit, and how does that really play a role in an organization? That's a really good question, Brandon. Um, well, I use the word soul Uh, to mean heart and spirit, to mean enthusiasm for the task. So it has nothing to do with religion, and it has everything to do with creating really a positive work environment in which uh, employees can do their very best. And um, we take a look at uh, the strategies that a manager can use in order to create that atmosphere uh, in a working environment. And we also look at what the individual can do um, to um, develop those capabilities um, within themselves. In the article, you mentioned that there's an absence of the soul in the workplace. Why do you think this is? And is there a way that you've measured this in the past with uh, the companies that you probably worked with? Well, my impression is, given today's uh, environment, that there are lots of things for people to worry about and um, lots of things for students to worry about, too. And I, uh, in everything that I do here at PSU, I try to emphasize the positive side of things and appreciate uh, the kinds of gifts that students can bring to class and that managers can share with their employees. And uh, it's not that I want to ignore Um, the um, seriousness of today's environment, but I'd rather focus on what seems to be working and doing more of that, since I think that's a real energizing factor. And it's, it's been helpful to me in my own experiences here at Portland State and in my own life. So I try to share that, um, again, positive view with my students, and they seem to react um, in a positive way to it. You mentioned positivity, and my impression is that there's a lot of negativity out there and do you think that's because of like the media and a lot of what we hear is negative or um, are there other external factors involved? Well I guess I can only speak from my experience here at the university but when I was going through uh, my um, educational experience uh, in various schools where I've been uh, when uh, instructors used to grade my papers they would always point out in red pencil what was the matter. And, of course, I would be programmed to correct that so I could be perfect or get the A or whatever. 
And I'd much rather focus on what seems to be uh, working well uh, in a paper and expanding that in order to uh, motivate students. So I'm not sure I can point to one thing, the internet or our over-reliance on um, the media or whatever as a cause of that. I just know in my own life um, that I've found uh, I can be a lot more motivated by uh, thinking about things that I can do well and do better and sharing that kind of spirit with my students. And I, I've been reinforced uh, from them because they've responded in like kind. So uh, I don't want to be blaming. I just want to be doing and focusing on what seems to work and doing, doing more of that and seeing how that goes. What impact do you think personal growth and development can play in a workplace. And if you're in the shoes of a, a business leader, how do you encourage that within the organization? Well, I think it's good, another good question, Brandon. I think it's been my experience that people, specifically my students, have lots of gifts to share at school and in the workplace. And I think any good manager recognizes this and figures out a way to access those gifts. So part of what I teach or offer to students in my class is strategies for, as I term it in my class, encouraging employees to bring their whole selves to work and not check um, their various capabilities at the door to fit into a narrowly defined job. So I think there are specific ways that managers can do that. I think the big thing for me at least, one of the lessons I've learned is to listen, is to ask questions and then listen to what people have to say. It sounds really basic, but I think lots of times people feel as though they aren't listened to. So in my class, uh, we have a specific evening called Bringing Your Whole Self to Work. And I ask students to bring examples of themselves that students in the class, other students in the class, might not ordinarily know about. Perhaps a hobby they've, they've developed over their lives or a special capability that they have that they simply kept secret because the educational workspace perhaps doesn't invite them to share that. Well, I invite them to share that, and it's amazing what students are able to um, talk about in terms of their creative gifts, painting and music and woodworking, photography, things like that. And I think a manager, from what I understand, there are managers who have done this, can do the same thing in terms of creating an opportunity for people to share more of themselves within the workplace than they might ordinarily do. And then to be able to build bridges between those capabilities and what they're asked to do on the job. How does all that sound? That sounds good. And I actually want to come back to that. But first, I want to ask you, in the article I read about the particular class that you're teaching, mm-hmm. you emphasize building a community in the workplace. Why, yes. do you, why do you think that is important as opposed to just having a bunch of really high-performing individuals that maybe or maybe not work as a team? Well, I'm a big fan of, of teams, and of course there are some jobs I'm aware of that, that don't require that, but I think most jobs in today's workplace require employees to work with one another, and uh, many employees find themselves in workplaces that are very, very diverse. So I know in my class that being able to build community makes a huge difference in terms of what 
people are able to learn. And one of the ways I create those opportunities for people is to make the learning environment relatively safe for people to be themselves. And so that's a gradual process, and it involves getting to know one another and doing activities that build the team that develop trust among each other. And I've had great luck in um, great results in being able to create this in um, create this opportunity for students to get to know one another in class. And I think it it lends itself to creating a much better learning environment for my students because they stretch more and grow more and take some learning risks. And I think the same is true in a work environment. Again, I have to speak from my own experience. I'd much rather have that kind of community in any work environment that I'm involved in because I think I do a better job when I commit to a learning goal and tell my teammates I'm going to do X by day Y and then I um, then I do so as opposed to simply loping along on my own. But that's the way I operate best. Have you ever had a a time where you have started building the community but maybe there's one or two people that just weren't buying in? How do you mm-hmm. How do you work with those kind of people? I think what's what works best in my world is to create an opportunity for those folks who may be um, slow starters, let's call them that, to uh, be approached and connected with by other by their peers as opposed to me since I'm the authority figure supposedly in the class. And so creating an opportunity for them to connect with their colleagues in an activity or a conversation or a reflection or a mini field trip that I use here is a way for to encourage them to, again, uh, bring their whole selves to work as opposed to my directing them. I don't think that works very well. And so trying to find ways, smaller ways, for them to connect with others on their team or in the class through mutual interests so they can have some fun, I think, is a more effective strategy to draw them out Uh, and into sort of the network of what's going on in the class. In the article, you mentioned that you practice active learning with students Mm -hmm. uh, and Mm -hmm. learning by doing. Can you elaborate Mm -hmm. on that and how that would actually translate to the workplace and why that's important? I think people learn in a lot of different ways. And my favorite is to get them as involved as possible uh, in whatever learning activity we're engaged in. So part of that means I have to get out of um, my role as a conductor of the class and be more coach and mentor and encourage them through their various gifts to be able to share. And by active learning, I mean a more engaged learning where students really share um, the power base of the class in terms of what's, what's going on and create opportunities for, again, themselves to share their various capabilities. And not every faculty member or every manager is comfortable, I think, doing that. But as I said earlier, people learn in a variety of different ways, all of which are active. Some are visual learners, some listen, some are able to make it happen with building things with their hands. Some learn musically. And most adult learners can tell you uh, what their preferred style of learning is. So I try to create assignments in which they voluntarily want to use those special ways of knowing. And that usually means I can kind of get out of, again, being the conductor 
and uh, get to the side of the stage uh, and and coach them a bit with regard to that. And and I think the reason I believe in that is because I've had such amazing results in the classroom with the the way people are able to share their various ways of knowing, all of which, uh, again, allow them to be more engaged in the class and to learn more, which, of course, is my goal. And I think the same can be said of good managers. I think they do the very same thing in workplaces, and I think it's a gradually learned skill. And, again, I've had amazing results with that kind of approach in my classrooms here. And, of course, it's been lots of fun. What I love about this is that you're, you're talking about the classroom, but I think this directly translates to a manager's role in, in trying to teach and train somebody on the job. As a manager myself, whenever I'm trying to train or coach or mentor, I'm always hands-on and always trying to figure out what what is the mm-hmm. way that person learns and then go from there because they're going to get more excited about coming to work every single day and they're going to be more creative and we'll jump into that of course but they're they're just going to be more excited about what they're doing I think by mm-hmm. um, by finding easier ways for them to learn. You get an A for that Brandon and <laughs> you didn't even take the course good for you well, <laughs> but I do think a lot of managers know that intuitively they don't have to take a course to know that because based on their own experience which is I'm sure how you have come to that, plus how you like to learn, too. So let's go back to the creative side. In bringing your whole self to work, how could we practice creativity in a professional work environment? And then for somebody like myself who doesn't consider themselves creative, how do Mm -hmm. I overcome something like that? I think it's interesting. When one asks kindergartners how many of them are creative, everybody's hand will go up, but you ask a college class, how many people think they are creative, and rarely will very many people raise their hands. And I think, it's my belief, and of course, I like to think I'm right about this, it's my belief that everyone is creative, but for a variety of reasons, those impulses have gotten kind of stifled. So I think the first way that a manager can go about creating this opportunity in classes to, or in, in a workplace is to talk to his employees or her employees about their uh, latent creative kind of capabilities and to do activities that, if possible, that create opportunities for people to kind of own them. I've had a certain amount of luck here, a good fortune at PSU with, with initially in the beginning weeks of the course to go take sort of mini field trips on the Portland State campus to remind students how creative it really is here. We also do, and and so we go to some um, galleries that the campus houses that are kind of hidden, that students who have been here maybe two or three years don't even know about, so they can connect. There's a photography gallery and several art galleries, and it's not to say that I want everybody to paint, but it allows students to remember, maybe in earlier in their educational experience, that maybe they used to paint or play a, a, a musical instrument or do kinds of things that they can connect with in a creative fashion. And I'm not suggesting managers should close shop and take people <laughs> to the art museum, Portland Art Museum, but that might be a good idea. I think the best thing to do is to have a conversation with employees, maybe to do a, a little bit of uh, reading, maybe to ask them, you know, in their off time if they ever do uh, things that are creative, and because everybody does, and create some kind of a list however small it might be, and to uh, grow it from there. 
uh, one of the strategies, just kind of to finish up here, one of the strategies that I like to use to get people started, and maybe this could help you get started, Brandon, is to do something called The Artist's Date, which I've borrowed from a book called The Artist's Way by Cameron. And it is asking my students to take an hour or maybe just 30 minutes once a week to do something called an artist date, which is something they do for themselves in a solitary individual fashion that kind of feeds their creative juices. It might be as simple as here at PSU taking a walk through the park blocks because they're usually quiet unless it's Saturday market uh, with lots of trees and it offers a person a chance to simply reflect and withdraw from all of the media and internet uh, distractions that might fill one's day. And if one can ab is able to do that over the course of, say, a month or two weeks, the magic can happen. They can realize that maybe there's more to life than just work and that they want to be able to feed their souls, their hearts, with a little bit of extracurricular activity, however small it might be. And then you just kind of see what happens from that. And it's been my experience when students have the opportunities to do that, that they branch out and remember how creative they used to be. And then it's just a matter of reconnecting and, and moving forward. And it's exciting to see what happens. How does that sound? It sounds good. And it actually kind of brings up a thought. I'm a huge fan of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this author, but uh, marketing guru Seth Godin. Uh -huh. In his work, he basically is talking about how a lot of grade school and up through high school really teaches us to become factory workers um, yeah. in a sense, and that yeah. really what's rewarded now in the workplace is the creativity. And mm -hmm. for most people who aren't creative, I think they're maybe afraid to be creative or to step out mm -hmm. and become mm -hmm. something that they weren't taught originally how to be. So mm -hmm. as an individual, how do... I feel comfortable being creative. Well, I think you do it gradually. I don't think it's a transformational, radical kind of change. At least it's been my experience that, for lack of a better term, baby steps have been most effective with my students. Asking them to just stretch and grow a little bit gradually has provided, to use an educational term, has provided reinforcement opportunities, and they find they like it. They like going to perhaps a musical performance or a special film or taking a walk out in the Columbia Gorge or whatever, that it brings them joy and fulfillment on a very small basis that they want to continue to do. And if I can tell about a, a specific example that um, occurred in, in um, the Soul and Spirit class I teach, when we were kind of gearing up to see about the creativity available in the course, we were having a discussion one night in class, and one student said, well, why isn't there more art in the business school? And uh, I thought that was a really good question. So long story short, out of that conversation grew an evening that the students organized themselves called Our Evening with Soul, in which they shared first floor of the business school in an exhibit fashion complete with um, food, all of their creative gifts. And there were there were there was photography and pottery and one man brought his Adirondack chair that he had made. And so it, it was a gradual kind of reconnection for students with their own creativity to the point where they felt bold enough 
and brave enough, because I thought it was an amazing leap, to be able to share this with the business school and the world. So again, I think one begins in a very small fashion, deciding what can I do today for 15 or 20 minutes that would feed my soul, that would make me feel better, that is something that uh, I haven't done in a long time, like walking as I said, through the park blocks or going to a film that is sounds appealing or doing something for themselves that nurtures that creative spirit and then holding one's breath and seeing what happens. And as I said, it's been my experience that amazing things can happen, but you have to start somewhere. And maybe one way to do it is to tell somebody else that this is what you're going to do, that you're going to go to this film or this play or this musical performance and then report back to that person. So you sort of committed yourself in a small way to do that. It doesn't have to be big or bold. It can be very small. But if one can repeat this for a number of times, then I think the thing can just take off. And, uh, and I think an organization can have their equivalent of their evening with soul or call it whatever seems most appropriate there so that people get a chance to know one another beyond the job characteristics. And I think this kind of energy can be translated into all kinds of amazing things in an organization. When organizations nurture the creativity in individuals, how do you think that plays a role in passion and engagement and fulfilling or being fulfilled in their job? Well, I think plays a big role. And I think uh, here at PSU, we have a lot of business students that are very much interested in uh, having their own businesses, being entrepreneurs. And uh, one of the classes that I teach in the summer is called uh, Developing Creativity and Innovation in Business and using something called The Artist's Way at Work, a, a, a book similar to The Artist's Way by Cameron, uh, we do a variety of exercises that, again, provides opportunities for students to access their creative core and then um, move that right into thinking about an innovative kind of service or product or an improvement for a current service or product that they could use in business. So I think, again, everyone is creative. Providing opportunities for people to reconnect with their creative core can lead to all kinds of energy and spirit in the workplace, as I've seen happen here in um, educational classrooms. And it's fun and it's exciting. And who knows, it can make somebody money. Well, as we wrap up, I ran across a quote that one of your students wrote in, in the article, or you put it in the article. And it mm -hmm. says, are you a writer who doesn't write a painter who doesn't paint, and an entrepreneur mm -hmm. who never starts a venture. Mm -hmm. I, I love that quote, by the way. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate mm -hmm. on what that means? And then uh, my second part of the question is, how can a manager make sure that employees are reaching their full potential? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, that quote, I think, is taken from one of the books we use, which is all about resistance and what gets in the way of people really reclaiming their creative gifts. And again, I think making it safe and relatively risk, low risk is one way for a manager to, and for an educator to help people reconnect with their creative core because everybody has one. But again, as I said earlier, it's gotten stifled. So I think 
as I said earlier, providing an opportunity for people to maybe talk about this within the workplace, depending upon what the culture is like. I think some cultures are more conducive to this than others, but uh, calling it, naming it, calling, maybe having a brown bag kind of lunch conversation, maybe having a, a speaker from outside come in. I know that some organizations on Fridays or whatever day would make sense have people come in from outside who have special kinds of capabilities that might be a little bit unusual for a company and to begin to have a conversation around what kinds of opportunities are there for us to to become more creative here in our organization, although initially you might not want to bill it under creativity. You just might want to bill it under what are opportunities here that we could expand on that would make us um, a happier, healthier culture and provide opportunities for people to begin to talk about that and connect, grow that kind of feeling within, within a workplace. So it might be a little pilot project that maybe one team would want to start and see how successful that was and then spread it uh, to the rest of the organization. I'm a big fan of starting small and then growing that. How does that all sound? I totally agree with you in starting small <laughs> and then growing it from there. That's, that's perfect. Is there anything else you want to mention about uh, just creating a positive culture and creative culture uh, before we... we uh, well, the only thing that I would say is um, that I think for managers, it's good to model the way to be an example of what it is that you'd like others to to be doing. So be able to perhaps initially, if it seems appropriate, share perhaps some of the first steps you might have taken in terms of accessing your own creativity as a way of encouraging others to do the same. And and I'm a big fan of this, and it, it can work, and I just hope everybody um, decides to give it a try, in, including you, Brandon. <laughs> I, I always love to give our listeners some resources at the, in, at the end of every interview. Mm-hmm. Any links or books or anything like that that you think listeners should uh, go get or act, get access to? Well, I would, yeah, I would, uh, the one that I think has been most helpful for me in uh, sharing this uh, with my students is, as I've mentioned before, something called The Artist's Way at Work by Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, and Cameron. And it is a easy to understand book. It has, the reason I've liked it is that it has lots of little exercises that can be done in short order to get people starting to think about this. And of course, the whole context for the book has to do with the workplace. So I think it's very, very relevant. One other thing is eventually I'm going to post a great video that was shot this winter for my Evening with Soul event, and um, I'll let you know when that's available so people can see what business students um, really bring to the table in terms of their creativity. Will that video be posted on the PSU website, or do you have a personal I website? think it'll be po- Well, initially it'll probably be posted on my website, okay. but it, it'll happen this summer, and I'll let, I'll let you know about okay. it. Our guest today has been Ellen West of Portland State University. Thank you so much for being part of our program. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. This podcast is produced by Zenium Resources, Inc., all rights reserved. For information on guests or for interview requests, please visit www. .zeniumhr.com or email info at zeniumhr.com. 
Everything on this show should be considered educational and informational only, and not personal advice. Please consult with the appropriate tax, legal, or business professional for individualized advice.